Welcome back to the hard shoulder. Now, regulars will know every Friday as you're winging your way home, if you're not working over the weekend, we take a look back at the stories that got us talking over the past 10 days. It's called The Final Furlong, and it's a great pleasure to welcome my victims today. Steve Cummins, comedian, uh, who has a book out. Where do daddies come from? And author. Yes, a pregnancy guide for men. Right. Well, author stretching it a bit, but uh, where it, it's pregnancy guide for men. Do you really want me to talk about your book that I found in my, <laughs> in my local <laughs> Vincent de Paul shop? We'll for one year on to <laughs> Bill Hughes, TV producer with uh, Mind in the Gap Films, and who has done a little bit of work lately because Lords and Ladles is coming back yeah. this Sunday. This coming Sunday, they RT put the, they fill the summer with lots of stocking fillers like this, don't <laughs> no. they? But, but I actually love Lords and Ladles. Is it the same cast as before? It's the same cast and. Uh, Fabulous uh, houses going back pre-Potato Ireland. Uh, and you've made so a full disclosure to all the freebies that you've got out of this no in freebies. terms of freebie. Uh, no, no freebies? Not a, not a single freebie. Not a sprig So when of they bring sage. you to these, these, these mansions and they don't put you up say, ah, Bill, come down for another weekend. No, 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 no. There's none of that. All right. It's going to be a cracking series it's three. It's going to be a cracking series and it's causing great ripples on the international television scene, which is wonderful. Ching ching. All right. <laughs> and also a pleasure to welcome back Geraldine Herbert, motoring journalist. Speaking of which, in this Sunday's Sunday Indo, the 18-2 guide to what you get for your bang and your buck uh, for new cars. That's it. Dealers want to tempt you away from those barbecues and into their showrooms. Now, we'll start with this. Regrets. I've had a few. But then again. Too few to mention I did what I had to do Oh, old blue eyes. I could cancel the next uh, few hours and just listen to him uh, my way. Well, the reason we're playing that is the late Carrie Fisher, Fisher regretted opening up about her affair with Harrison Ford, according to her brother, Todd Fisher. The late Star Wars icon, who passed away very suddenly in December 16 at the tender age of 60, revealed in her book, The Princess Diaries, that she had enjoyed, well, an intense affair with her co-star Harrison Ford during the filming of the hit sci-fi movie franchise. But subsequently, uh, in her brother Todd's new memoir, My Girl's Lifetime with Carrie and Debbie, that is not only Carrie, but her mother, Debbie, who died the day after Carrie, um, Todd referred to her deep regret about this, not speaking, not to have spoken about the affair, which got me thinking here on the hard shoulder. Uh, Bill, (laughs) regrets. Regrets. I think everybody has regrets, you know. We don't... Uh, everybody messes up sometimes. Everybody trips, you know. There's, my father used to say, never trust a man who hasn't made a mistake because a man who hasn't made a mistake has made nothing, you know. And I agree with that principle. And people... people. I love Hillary Clinton's term for it, misspeak. I misspoke and I miss... Uh, I don't know how we're going to explain other people's getting things wrong, but... Every now and again, a memoir comes out and people are indiscreet about things that they did in their past. And it's a shame sometimes because there was an intimate moment that was always meant to be private. It was never meant to be shared. That's something that the bedroom door closed. What goes on in here stays in here. And the next thing it ends up in a book to the other person's eternal embarrassment. And I just find that that's a shame. People kissing and telling 
kissing and telling was never a good thing. From secondary school, I, you know, I snogged so-and-so, so-and-so around the back of the bike shed. Oh, no, but I'm in love with her, all that kind of stuff. That hurts you as a teenager. And then it just gets nasty in your 20s. And by your 30s, you should know better. But marriages end because of it. And your 40s and your 50s, really, lads, stop whispering, telling, telling, telling. And so I don't understand it. But I have enjoyed reading some very steamy, revelatory books. Okay. Well, you've opened a Pandora's box because my regrets was only a a little parry to get you into skeletons in the cupboard and whether you should reveal them or not. Mm. Uh, And uh, I can I can now say that uh, when I went to Swansea, I wrote 170,000 words and I gave it to a dear friend of mine. I said, I'm thinking of giving this to a publisher and I had an agent, but it wasn't the agent I sent it to because they said they were going to commercially go after this. They took out 60,000 words. And I said, but you took out some of the best bits. They said, Ivan, no one should ever know some of the contents <laughs> that I read in the 60,000 words. And I said, no, but it's the best bits. Uh, you know, this will help sell the book. No, Ivan, these people should not know about this kind of stuff. So uh, you take that view, whereas I kind of felt... Well, like, if they're buying a book and if it's a kind of fess up and tell everything, it's different to whispering or gossiping. Like, it's kind of like a bookend to your life almost. So should you let your guard down maybe more in a book? Um, Telling everything is fine. But telling everything that involves other people when it was a private moment then good that's point. a different good thing. Point. When, whereas you can tell everything and you can tell everything with the tacit agreement of people or if you've done something that wasn't very discreet and that people knew about anyway. And it anyway. could be something you regret. Yeah. But then to actually... Like it's not as if you're it. bragging about it. You no. actually say, look, I was very immature at this point in my life yeah. and if I had it to go on, I certainly like would not do when that you, again. When you think what Roddy Doyle did for Roy Keane when Roddy Doyle sort of brought Roy Keane's rants down and made it into a very, very reasonable book. And when you think of what Andre Agassi did in A filter in his is necessary. Book, filter is necessary. There is one book that I would recommend to everybody if they don't want to filter and they can take it into the bedroom or the bathroom, lock the door and read it in and wallow in your filth. And it's called Full Service, My Adventures in Hollywood and the Secret Sex Lives of the Stars by Scotty Bowers. Read it, feel dirty, but feel great. (laughs) (laughs) There's my next purchase, man. What's it called again? It's called Full Service, My Adventures in Hollywood and the Secret Sex Lives of the Stars. Okay. Have you had a full service? And would you tell everybody about it? I, I, I'm, I'm, Bill's absolutely right. Like, especially, I'm, I'm very open on stage. I'll talk about anything. But I will not bring my family into it. I won't bring my wife into it. Would you bring your past into it? My past, certainly. But once again, not. If, if, if there's an identifier that's going to hit somebody, uh, I won't do it. You know, but I'll talk. For example, I'll talk about on stage about the one and only time I've pooped myself, I pooped myself as an adult. Which, because that's all, it's only embarrassing to me. By the way, it was just a, it was a food poisoning thing. It was not just, mm. I just was, couldn't be bothered getting up from the television. So um, I have no problem if I come off in a bad that's light. too much information. <laughs> I didn't tell you the story. You'd love it. <laughs> Stop it right there. Go on, yeah. People are eating at this time of night. Yeah, go well, on. Yeah. Well, tuck in and hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you've control of it in four hours time. But yeah, so obviously you don't want, you don't want to ever hurt anyone. I mean, I could imagine maybe being bitter in my 80s and going, I'm going to screw over everybody I ever wanted to. But, I mean, it's pretty low rent to do that. Mm. I think you mellow with age anyway. I think, And I think most of the mistakes and the indiscretions, you do them, 
you know, in your 30s and 20s when you're kind of just more energy than you should have, maybe. Well, absolutely. Well, because weirdly enough, when you asked Bill there, do you have any regrets? And I was kind of going, no, I'm pretty cool, I'm pretty cool. And then I went, I regret not, I started comedy late. I didn't I didn't even step on a stage until I was in my 30s. And I didn't start writing until I was in my 40s. And I'd, if I could go back in time and change anything, I'd start comedy at like... You'd follow your instincts at, earlier. At 18, absolutely. Uh, Geraldine, I did find uh, a totally unexpected... Uh, as 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 a follow up to my own autobiography, that um, my family universally hated it, hated the fact, the thought of a book, and I'm doing a thing now coming up now, living with Lucy, Lucy Kennedy on TV three, and they're all uniformly really antsy and antipathy to it, wouldn't begin to cover it. And like I said, look, hold on a second. For 40 years, I've lived my life in a goldfish bowl. This is a piece of cake. You know what I mean? This is just mm-hmm. another instalment. This people who haven't been in the public, uh, uh, you know, view, do have a completely different threshold about privacy. Yeah, and I think if it's a family member who's in the public eye and you're not, then by them revealing themselves, they reveal a lot about your family and that, by implication, you know, may be embarrassing for a lot of people. I don't think kiss and tell, though, and regrets are the same thing, you know. Um I mean, you could you could kiss and tell in a book and have absolutely no regrets. That's the whole point of putting it in the book you want it out there. I think regrets are very different, though, um, you know, and I think probably regrets, regretting as a culture is kind of probably based on our society. We've too many choices in life. So therefore, we, you know, we've too many things we could have done. And this kind of fosters this belief in regret. I have to admit, I'm with Edith Piaf and the idea that, you know, I don't have regrets. I yeah, try and take no, everything like philosophically. I actually think that it's a state of mind not having mm. regrets because you can wallow in self-pity. If you just say, look, that's happened. Let's move on, you know. Yeah, I'm very much one door closes and it opens yeah. another. And, we're you know, things happen for a reason. So I try not to dwell on what could have happened or what could have been. Okay. That book is called Full Service. Anyway, take a listen to this. But still, compared to other people in the fight game, I am relatively undamaged. I have never been dropped. I have never been... I I was wobbled once. In the Mayweather fight, I wasn't wobbled. I didn't see stars once. I was... The only time I was ever wobbled once in a contest was in the Diaz 1 fight. And that's it. So it's the only heavy shot I've taken and I've been able to climb. So so I'm very young in the game. Although I've climbed to the top, I'm still very young from a damage-taking standpoint. So I will continue to go and see where it goes. The reason we're playing that clip of Conor McGregor is that he finished fourth on the Forbes list of 100 top paid athletes for the past year. Number one was his co-conspirator Floyd Money Mayweather. Uh, He got 285 million, whereas total earnings for Conor were 99 million. Second, Messi. Third, Ronaldo, respectively, uh, both over 100 million. And then there's other soccer stars, basketball players. Geraldine, one of the things that featured in this, not one of the top athletes was a woman. That was one thing they took out. What do you take out of this? Well, I think what's interesting is that that clip, I really, I think, captures it. Like, this is a very short career and this is why they make so much money, but a high risk of injury. So, like, you know, these are huge amounts of money, but they're not getting them at 18 up to 65. You know, the main reason why they're getting paid so much is this shortness of the career. And I also think we put a value on them. We determine that value in the sense that, like, your house is only worth what somebody else is prepared to pay for it. When we go along, buy tickets Pay-per-view. to see them, yeah. all of those things, we buy their merchandise, we put that value. So, we can and, you know, they entertain us, they inspire us. You can't bottle those things and sell them in Tesco. So, you know, we get value and, and for on money. The, on the gender point, if we had a list of the top 100 fashion models, it might all be female. I mean, the mm-hmm. fact that, that sport tends to be somewhat blokey 
in terms of audience viewing? Is, is that is that a fair point? Or is this shocking that there isn't equal pay of the genders in sport? I'm not surprised. I think it's also just the amount of time that's given in terms of coverage to women's sporting events, you know, as opposed to male sporting events. And I think women in general are not good at fighting their corner for the equal pay as well. And we have to get more ambitious and more aggressive about that as well and make men stand up and listen. Now, Bill, for most people, these would be eye-watering amounts of money. For you, they're fairly modest. <laughs> <laughs> they're eye Eye-watering and stomach-churning, actually, because they're oh. just so ridiculously huge. I, f- I think they're obscene, those figures. And I think they're obscene for anybody to, to have. I, I think there Even should though, be... as Geraldine says, their career could be over 35. Yeah, but 285 million for one night's but work, the, But please. there's a lot of hangers-on. I know there's a lot of hangers-on, but the hangers-on are there by invitation. But how much money is somebody else making? Whoever's paying him is making considerably more than that. I was, I, I was for years, I was the same. I go, it's ridiculous how much these soccer players are being paid and blah, blah, blah. And then I heard that like just David Beckham's uh, jer- jersey sales alone mm-hmm. were something like eight times what he was being paid a year. And that's just jersey sales, not pay the for franchise view, stuff, not everything yeah. else. Exactly. So there's a lot of money coming in. So why not have it's, the stars be the one that can? buying into it that I can't buy into, you know, the only But if there were rock stars, you'd be happy. Is it because they're sports people? Listen, soccer in particular is the working man's game. The working man loves to go. Yeah. They have now priced their tickets for the premiership so far outside the pocket of the average industrial worker that people who lived their lives for Arsenal, for Everton, for Man United, they now can't afford to go to the games for the season because a season ticket is a couple of grand and a couple of grand is the difference between paying the mortgage having a family holiday you know it's 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 a ridiculous amount of money that these Bill. ordinary people are having to pay I know no, no, I'm just going to tell you this you're going to go bleeding heart liberal no 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 no, no not no, that at all no, no. You, you know what they do hmm. like say occasionally I would try and go to a Man City match yeah it is no problem because the season ticket holders we'll just say for unit purposes, it's fifty euro a ticket. Whereas if I'm rocking up and I don't know, I might pay one hundred euro uh, quid for a ticket. Mm. And they actually recycle a lot of these season tickets. They're the ones you can actually buy off the touts. I mm. mean, so they're, they're they're kind of a lot of the regulars are clever about the way they handle it. Away tickets and things like whatever that. about here or or here in Britain. Uh, anyone want to hazard a guess how much? Uh, just there, the NBA final, you know, the World Series of Basketball the final. Game two, it's seven. It's seven games. Anyone want to guess how much courtside one courtside seat is in game two? Not the not the last game, but the second game of the season. Tell us, tell us. Seventy nine thousand dollars. Well, thousand. The cheapest seats are. Is that for a box or something? That's for one seat. You one get lunch little, for that. One folding chair right on the court, and you get LeBron kind of jumping past in front of you. Mm. But the cheapest, cheapest seats. Are are pushing well, like close to four thousand dollars, just for way up in the back in the gods. It's ridiculous. Would so you, as you said, it has it is totally the, the real people can't can't go to these no. games. But this this is a far uh, this is market forces, surely. <coughs> yeah, market ma- that doesn't make it right. That doesn't make it right. That's like, like I saying, will pay more to go to an Adele concert than I will to you know kiss my arse. But that's like saying on. every car should be a Rolls Royce. It's 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 not that simple. It I'll really say this isn't. for the GAA: they they keep their tickets, you know, pretty much universally. Yeah. affordable and manageable I know there's allocations here there and whatever and I know the government pays a lot and speaking, <laughs> speaking of the J last night when I got home at, at one o'clock there was an email from uh, 
the boss at Croke Park, would I like to go to Taylor Swift? Who is Taylor Swift? You know, in the, in the box, it'd be very nice. The catering will be fantastic. She wrote a it's, song it's, about it's you. It's on Saturday week. She wrote should a I song go? about you. The haters going to hate, hate, hate. Yeah. The haters should, I go, should I go or not? Just shake, shake it off, Ivan. Just I wouldn't off. cross the road. I wouldn't. I'll definitely go, sir. <laughs> All right. We're going to have lots more from our final furlong panellists, Steve Cummins, Geraldine Herbert and Bill Hughes. Uh, lots of great topics to come, some of the most engaging stories of the last seven days. But we'll be back after this. Welcome back to The Hard Shoulder. Uh, my uh, final fur- furlong panellist today, Steve Cummins, can- comedian and has a book out, Where Do Daddies Come From? Bill Hughes, TV producer with Mind the Gap Films, who has a third series of uh, Lords and Ladles starting at 6.30 RT1 this Sunday, Unmissable. And if you are buying a Sunday paper this Sunday, check out the Sunday Indo because my other panellist, Geraldine Herbert, has a motoring journalist feature in relation to what 18.2 cars. Yes, that fresh registration that you can buy. Let's move on to our next topic. Well, it is of interest to pedestrians and to motorists. It is cyclists. Well, you hear a lot about people complaining. They break the lights. They drive. They, they cycle on the footpath. They go in and out of lanes. So um, think of it the other way. Think of the poor cyclist who has people in their cycle lane. How do you register your complaint? The dinky little ding-a-ling-a-ling bell? Is that enough? Well, we have a guy in the UK who decided to get an air horn. You know those really loud aerosol things that you uh, bring to the Aviva or Croke Park? He attached it to his bike and he put it all on his smartphone. So he... Uh, uh, rode down the cycle lane, saw someone standing in his way, and they heard this. Well, I've seen the video of it. It's 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 London. You can Google it, London bike horn. And I can tell you, people did literally jump uh, as that went off behind their back. Um, so this is obviously very divisive. People very upset about it. It ended badly for the poor cyclist because one guy was so upset, he turned around and he got such a shock, he turned around, he punched the poor cyclist. Um, Bill, what's, what's your take on this? Is this another... Uh, another paramilitary sign from our cyclists that needs to be dealt with firmly. No, I'm in agreement with the cyclist and his air horn. I thought he was perfectly within his rights. I thought particularly the examples in his video because I laughed so hard, especially at the woman walking on her phone with her headphones on, with her head down, walking towards him in the cycle lane, completely oblivious that she was going to get knocked over. And when he let the horn go, it just made her jump. And then the woman walking along with her headphones on, with her coffee, and her coffee goes flying in the air. I mean, I just laughed out loud. And when the guy turned around and... and That was unfortunate. He shouldn't have done it because the guy had no alternative in that particular instance because they were there was a road construction or whatever going on. And so the guy was reduced to walking there. But in general, that video made me laugh. Now, where I work up on Wilton Place, uh, there are cycle lanes right outside our office. And the cyclists get so 
uh, exercised uh, if any of the pedestrians cross over them. But it's because the pedestrians don't look left and don't look right for the cycle lane. They look left and look right for traffic, but they don't look left and right on the cycle lane and they just step out. And it's really annoying for the cyclists and I can see their No, no but what is it Jesus said? Do unto others as you would they would do unto you. Yeah. Cyclists are the first to mow down oh, pedestrians are. on footpaths. They are. And I, I walk a lot. Yeah. And you know, it's almost as if, excuse me, Mr. Pedestrian, you're in the way, mm. whereas actually it's an offence yeah. to ride a bike on a footpath, as I understand. So the the point about it is this. Taking lectures and uh, foghorns from cyclists is a bit rich. It's funny. It's just funny. It's just them uh, sending out the message, get out of my way, you're in my lane. But in the same way that a car should be entitled to toot its horn at a cyclist who's in the way. And instead, now, we have this new rule coming in where we have to give them two yards or something extra. It's Shane Ross's and idea. Yeah. How nonsense. And yet another genius idea from Mr. Ross. Uh, nonsense stuff that pours out of him. God bless him. He's like the fountain of all Well, silliness. he does little enough. You know what I mean? Okay, uh, uh, Geraldine, uh, as representative of the motoring lobby, your own uh, customers, uh, um, are you are you sympathetic to cyclists? I'm totally sympathetic. You see, I'll go against now the motorists okay. in the sense that I think we've a really bad attitude to cycling in this country and we demonise them constantly as lawbreakers. And yet the health benefits of cycling are enormous. There was a study um, in the British Medical Journal last year that concluded that you can inc- decrease your risk of heart uh, disease and cancer by up to 40% by cycling every day to work. I mean, these are huge stats. So if we could just put in segregated bus lanes or segregated cycle lanes, so therefore we take them away from dealing with you know pedestrians and dealing with cars and dealing with HGVs, we would actually encourage people to cycle and it would have a huge benefit for our mental health, our health, our health bills, the whole lot. So no, I'm totally with, uh, and I actually agree with Shane well, Ross with his, um, you know, on, the, on, giving on. them space because I think we have to realise car versus cyclist. It's a to- it's an unequal relationship. Two ton okay, versus a cyclist. I accept that roads aren't wide enough to take everybody in all circumstances and and cyclists can be squeezed into oblivion uh, uh, where there are no cycleways and so on. But I mean, this health kick, I mean, give me a break. I mean, like, a lot of them need to shower and don't after their cycle. Do you understand me? Like, they're coming in sweaty Betty. They've probably got some weatherproof Mac, which means that the sweat levels double. And then they think they don't smell. But see, you're going then with this idea that has been painted in the media of these cyclists who are these smug, you know, whatever, lycra-clad um, lawbreakers. That is And making true. everyone feel guilty that they're, you know, kind of slimmer, fitter and healthier than everybody else. Short the trip from they are, me, but infertile. Oh. Those those little saddles apparently are just crippling for your fertility. Those little tiny saddles, yeah, they're apparently that genuinely for men and women. Well, I, I would imagine it depends on which way you're putting the saddle for the women, but no, for men, <laughs> clearly. But I'm with you in that I, uh, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say I despise the spandex-clad, budgy, smuggling, smug cyclist. Uh, I, there's two types of cyclists for me. There's the cyclist I can't stand and there's the cyclist I'm quite happy with. The cyclist I'm quite happy with is the one that clearly is the person who commutes to work. I like to see the dweeby looking guy with the bicycle clips and the helmet on because he's using it as a mode of transport. It's the guys every weekend who take up when there's 15 of them and they're riding two and three abreast and they're blocking traffic. Let's look. Honestly, what you really need is better policing of cyclists and that way and, and indeed the bus line. They you, do crash red lights though. Well, I mean, well, of course, they, and they, they go on I just, every day, because I walk from Pierce Street over to here, every day, 
Now, I'm pretty nifty oh, across the street myself. I'm not waiting for the pedestrian light in all circumstances. So I'm not without sin, as you might say. But the point about it is that cyclists do not believe that junctions and lights or anything applied to them. But motorists do the same. Ah, they don't. You ah, see motorists don't. slipping through red lights at the last minute. Ah, they, they are just as likely to ah, break red, red lights. <laughs> I love the way. It's just it's just devolved to yes they do no they don't yes they do no they don't <laughs> all right uh, now this and now walking oh. look at them there walking around look out there Mary doesn't Mary have a lovely bottom careful there Ted that might offend the girls rightly of course. They all have lovely bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> that was, of course, the formidable Father Ted hosting the Lovely Girls competition. And it seems things are changing in America. The Miss America pageant is dropping the swimsuit, the bikini, the evening gown competition, and will no longer judge contestants on their physical appearance. They say, we're changing out of our swimsuits and into a whole new era. Hashtag bye bye bikini. That's a Miss American org said in a tweet. Um, apparently, uh, they want to go all cerebral. Uh, Steve, are <laughs> I you can impressed? see why you spun to spun towards me. Well, <laughs> say goodbye to Miss America. I mean, I, to be honest, I thought it was I thought it was long dead. You know, when have we last? I know Trump uh, back in his day was was kind of keeping yeah. that going for years. Yeah. I think he was just leading a stable of women. Um, the your average, and I know this is a broad sweeping statement, but there's been so many examples of previous Miss America winners who wouldn't exactly be the sharpest pencil in the box. I mean, first, who's going to watch? I didn't think anybody was watching this but show this anyway. But going to turn but, into Rosa Tralee for America. I doubt it. With I mean, Dahi. Rosa Tralee still has, you know. More this, of it. They sex up Rosa Tralee with Dahi. So is that what they're going to have to do? They're going to get tied to But is, is it going all cerebral? Is that we it's want not, the it's, sharpest? It's, it's not. It's basically this is the last dying gasp of a of an ancient right that nobody cares about anymore. Uh, uh, Geraldine, I mean, he's very dismissive there, our Steve. I mean, like I I I don't know what what what's what's so wrong with an attractive woman. Well, there's nothing wrong with an attractive woman. <laughs> on the catwalk. Woman. But I mean, this is an outdated, outmoded um, idea. I mean, it really is. And even, I, I, you can't use the word progressive and beauty pageant in the same sentence, but Miss America as itself is like one of the worst. You have to be under 24. You can never have been married, never had had a child. You can't be pregnant. Up to 1971, you had to be white. I didn't know any of this, So, right? I mean, as pageants go, this is bad. But, I mean, the thing about it is, what I don't understand is the pseudo-intellectualism now that they're going to try and bring into it. it. You know, if I want to know how to narrow the, the gender pay gap, I'm not going to turn on Miss America to find out what they have to think about it. So, I really think at this stage, forget about getting rid of the swimsuits and the, get rid of the whole bloody thing. In, yeah. in the era of the Me Too generation, hashtag Me Too, uh, Miss America is a nonsense and it's a dinosaur and it should be gone I don't know did you ever see the film Miss Congeniality yeah. Miss Congeniality yeah. my favourite line from that when he turns to her and he said what is your favourite date and she said April 25th <laughs> and he said what do you mean and she said it's not too hot it's not too cold it's perfect for a light jacket and that is so th- now it's on Facebook answer. every year <laughs> like, on, April, on April 25th people start putting the meme of that clip up and it just makes me laugh so much and that is the level of nonsense so it's kind of vacuous it's vacuous okay. and the rose is really the but same the flip side of all this if this is progress okay. and we'll we'll, we'll all right, we'll kind of genuflect to that, that maybe this is a good thing. The mini marathon this week, and, you know, it was principally entirely for women. Yeah, yeah. 
that one of the one of the sponsors, Unilever, gave uh, as did other sponsors a goodie bag, and they put a few dishwasher tablets into it and other uh, parcel or whatever. Don't little you thing. love and No, that no, no. Book. But people went on social media and railed against this that you know it was sexist, that it was unfair, and that it it depicted women. Whereas I said, Mister Unilever, if you want to leave. A crate, not to speak of a carton of dish uh, water dishwasher tablets outside news talk. I'll take him for free. I mean, free stuff is free stuff. You don't have you don't have to take it. I number get free one. stuff. And I mean, like for heaven's sake. And men use dishwashers. I love that meeting where someone went. What will we stick in the goodie bag? What what would be appropriate? That's hilarious, right? Oh, by the way, you should be washing your dishes by hand anyway. So stop. But <laughs> that's but who who signed off? Who thought? No, but no I mean, one's like, going to get mad. People are taking offence, Geraldine, at something that isn't offensive. What I thought was more interesting about that was Unilever have obviously done their research and know that it's actually women who fill the dishwasher, women who buy the dishwasher tablets, and that is their market audience. And I found that actually far more depressing than getting something free in your goodie bag. So you think they were wrong to put it in? I do. I mean, I think they could they could expand their imagination a bit more than putting, you know, dishwasher tablets. But I think it says a lot about where women are in Irish society still, you know, that that's where their marketing pointed but them you, towards. But you're familiar with laundry detergents and dishwasher <laughs> tablets, Bill. Would you be insulted if you went to an event and you got them in a goodie bag? I'm familiar with goodie bags because I've been to a lot of charity functions where you get a goodie bag. Yeah. And invariably, in the goodie bag, it's lots I of get rubbish. a lipstick. Yeah. yeah, I get a lipstick and I get uh, some kind of yeah. hair removal cream or something like that yeah. and I'm looking at it going yeah. you know do and they not know it's for your dentures <laughs> and that kind of stuff <laughs> listen it was Unilever they were the name they were the sponsor this was their product what else would they do it's just a natural fit our finale uh, <laughs> clip we have for you is this guy can I be honest with you? Uh, it's one of the worst groups I've ever heard in my life. You want to come up here and sing, Simon? Because I'd like to see you face that lot. Oh, girls, you sounded like three cats being dragged up the motorway. I love Simon. Yeah, so I <laughs> just love. I mean, in a world of PC things, he just doubles down. But the reason he's in the news is. Apparently, and I don't know if this is true, he says he's ditched his mobile phone. He's never been happier. The media mogul told the Mail on Sunday he became irritated with how often he was using his phone. He's now the same age as myself, 58, uh, but he's become way more focused, aware of people around me since giving up his device. And apparently he's done it for 10 months and he could not be happier. Is this the way to go or is this just a porky? Well, if I had a a team of like probably five PAs, personal assistants yeah, yeah. exactly who could take all my messages for me that'd be great I do think yeah you, we should start laying down our phones more because I mean it was a great photo I just saw it on the internet recently it was a photo of uh, Spot the Weirdo and it was like about 40 people on a train platform and one guy is looking up everyone else is down like this staring at their phones and I, I try to I think it's because obviously being a comedian and I like to write you got to pay attention to stuff around you because you never know where you're going to find something funny. Whereas if I'm looking at my phone, like there's no creativity in your phone. It's other people's creativity you're looking at. So if you want to absorb anything about the world around you, dump your phone. 
Yeah, I I've kind of somersaulted on this, and I'm not for somersaulting generally. I'm 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 stuck in my ways, but I get the dart twice a day, and it does give me an opportunity. You know, just say between radio and TV, where I need to catch up with well, what's happened outside of Ivan's mm. world today. You know, what have other people's take on news stories, and maybe different sports sites and things I'm interested in, and I can actually get quite a large amount of information now. Uh, we have third world Wi-Fi, Barry Kenny on. Uh, it's 4G. I have to rely on Dart as a disaster in Irish Rail or even worse in terms of broadband. But it, I, I mean, I would have said, you know, it's impersonal and, and people have lost the art of conversation. But in a fast moving world where time is precious, it does give you a chance to pick up a lot without, you know, normally I get briefs and things about things, but things I just need to be expected to know. It, it's a good thing. Well, I'll say that Simon Cowell, as Steve said, has a team of PAs, so he doesn't have to answer the phone anyway. He doesn't have to check what the information is because it's all being fed to him anyway. So that's fine because he's multi-multi-millionaire. But what I found more interesting about what's happened with Simon Cowell is that he's cut down on the fags and he's cut down on the drink. And by cutting down on both of those, that's also fed into his well-being. And I would say... That he's has also had cut a, down on Louis Walsh. Uh, he has he's getting rid of him after 13 years. <laughs> he is. That'll help his health. <laughs> he is. He I is. know I love Louis. Carry on, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Louis, if you're listening... <laughs> I, I'll, punch, all... I'll punch Ivan for you. It's okay, grand. <laughs> okay, okay. No, so, no. but you, you, so you think he's actually reached that kind of late fifties point in life where he's sort of getting a bit cute Do you about know why? his. He's got a little kid running around, and he's having to keep up with him, and he's having to lift him up, and he's having to lift him down, and he suddenly realised, "Geez, I've no puff left. Okay. I've no strength." in my back and I've, I, I'm, I can't run down the garden with them. But do you agree with them we should dispose of our phone? We shouldn't dispose of it. That's just drastic. And again, there's no such thing as dispose. He never hasn't disposed of it. He's surrounded by information. He's surrounded by people throwing information at him. Okay, Geraldine, what, do, you, do you think, you know, he's a, such an exceptional case in terms of his kind of infrastructure and support uh, network around him, he, he can do things that we ordinary mortals can't? Of course. I mean, you have to be in a very privileged position to do without your phone. You have to have somebody who's going to answer, you know, your calls, whatever. I think what Bill is saying is very interesting, though, because he's actually mellowed quite a lot in the last while. And he doesn't doesn't have that caustic tongue anymore. So I think it's, he's, no. he's lost his sharpness and his edge myself. But anyway, um, I mean, I'd love to do it without my phone, but there's absolutely no way. Anybody who works as for themselves, you know. There is a lot of junk on email, though. There is. People just, tend to text you with something that you might need to know. But you know that you can quickly erase things. Like, yeah. You just yeah. erase, erase, erase. Yes. Oh, I'll read that one. Erase, erase, erase. Yes. I'll read that one. You know, yeah. you've got to be selective. You can't no be stopping No wonder you don't reply to my emails. Yeah. <laughs> say, there are people who regularly email you are going, does he erase me now? Yeah. Yeah, but I do. <laughs> I think, Ivan, though, we've created a world where we expect people to be on 24 hours a day. And if you're living in a, in a world where you're working and you're looking for work and you're, you have to be able to respond to that and you can't do it any other way unless you have a PA like Simon Cowell. Okay, I'm going to give you, Geraldine Herbert, the last word. My thanks, because we're now going to erase uh, the hard shoulder and the final furlong. Steve Cummins, Bill Hughes joined Geraldine and myself. And my thanks for our chit-chat review of the week. And that's your lot from the hard shoulder uh, until Monday. My thanks to the team, Dan Flanagan, Ashling Moore, Elaine Power, Kira Courtney, Steve Daunt. On sound, we had Michael Quilligan. Off the Ball is up next. Have a great weekend. I will talk to you again Monday. Thanks for listening.